Good evening, all. You may take a seat. We'll be in 1 Samuel 25 tonight. 1 Samuel 25. Glad you can make it out. I know for many of you, there's a lot of activity going on this week with Vacation Bible School, so I'm appreciative of those that were able to make it out here. And your kids have been through a lot this week. But what a blessing that is as well. Uh, 1 Samuel 25. I was telling Dawn as I was getting ready to leave here for church tonight, I said, I think we're only going to do one chapter. We've been going through a pretty good pace here through the book of 1 Samuel, but 1 Samuel 25 is 44 verses, and it really changes subjects in 26, and I don't have time. I shouldn't say I don't have time. There wouldn't be enough time to do both chapters fully. So I said, I think we're only going to do one, and Dawn said, your teachers will appreciate that. So I didn't say we're getting done early. I'm just saying we're doing one chapter, so I'll just make sure it spreads out over 45 minutes. But 1 Samuel 25, I kind of like these chapters a little bit. These chapters are almost a a story within itself. Like if you wanted to, you could just read 1 Samuel 25 from really about verse 2 through, oh, probably 42. And you don't need to know a whole lot of what happened before. and You don't need a whole lot of what happened afterwards. And it really just kind of comes together very, very nicely. And I hope you're as blessed by this as I am. You know, I told you that we have not taught through 1 Samuel. I believe it's been since uh, 1997. I believe that was the last time. And I distinctly remember teaching this message uh, that many years ago and just how blessed I was by it. And I hope you're as blessed by that as I am this, uh, this evening here. And I'm really looking forward to this, guys. Let's pray again. Lord, open our eyes and ears. And I just want to pray for all those people serving in the back. Many of them have served many hours already. And I pray, Lord, that they are blessed and refreshed. And for those that are sitting in here this evening that have served this week at VBS, may this be a time of blessing and refreshing as well in your name. Amen. So 1 Samuel 25. All right, David's wilderness time goes on for years, years, potentially up to a decade of time. So remember, he's on the run here for 8 to 10 years. Now, cannot share every story that happens, so the Bible highlights certain ones to reveal deeper truths. So we need to stop and realize, why did God highlight this story? Of all the stories he could have told that went on for a decade, why this one? First thing you're going to see is David has a heart of grace. Saul did not. So that's point number one. Number two, you're going to see David collect two more wives this evening. Now, I'm not defending that in any way whatsoever, but David's marriages. How did he come to have all these wives? He gains two more wives here. And ultimately, this is also a picture of us. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the Bible is given to us as examples of what to do and what not to do. Now, if you remember correctly, when we went through David and Goliath a few weeks ago, we said, be careful. Get the primary context first of the passage before you jump in and saying, I'm David taking on giants. Well, there's a lot of other points before you become David taking on giants. We need to make sure that we realize this story and what it means before we look for ourselves in this passage. So let's just look at verse 1. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Do you ever realize how straightforward the Bible is when people die? And Samuel died. That's just what it is. This is the reality of it. I remember the first time... Uh, many, many years ago that I was asked to go to a, a deathbed and was with the family when somebody passed away. And my first thought was, yeah, that's not how it happens in the movies. In the movies, there's final words. In the movies, there's final looks and glances. And the music plays, and it's very, very peaceful. And just throughout the years, I've been asked to go many times when someone passes, and the reality is they die. It's hard. Samuel's the last of the judges from monarchies now fully in effect from this point forward. 
But let me just share a couple verses about just the reality of that verse that Samuel died. Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. We're all going to die. God opened a door last week and I had a chance to share the gospel with some people. And one of the points they came up with was just very simple and straightforward. Right now you're all young. Right now you're all healthy. But one day you're going to die. Now, what are you going to do with that information? That's the reality we have to look at. We are all going to die. Just like Samuel, this great prophet of old, died. We're all going to die. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's another great question to ask when sharing is, why do you die? Why don't you live forever? Why does the body wear down? It's amazing the answers you get, and the reality is because the wages of sin is death. Your payment for your sin is physical death. And when you start looking at it from that perspective, all you said, I die physically because I have sinned spiritually. And Samuel died because he had sinned, just like we have all sinned, And so therefore, death comes to every single one of us, and Samuel is one of those as well. So that's part of the narrative here. It's showing that we're moving past the time of judges, and so therefore we have this idea of Samuel has now died. Now we get into the actual story, verse 2. Now there was a man in Mayan whose business was in Carmel, and this man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. But we talk about beauty and the beast. Take a look at verse 3. Look at the description there. Abigail, good understanding, beautiful appearance, other translations, sensible, discerning, intelligent. And Nabal, whose name actually means fool, he is described as harsh and evil. Other translations, crude and mean. Boy, I've seen a lot of Nabals married to Abigails. Just as the truth of it, you see these harsh men with this wonderful wife, and you stop and you think, how did you get her? It just doesn't make sense. Very simply put, moms, grandmas, if you have grandsons or sons, pray they grow up to marry a Abigail. You wanted Abigail as a daughter-in-law. You want that woman that is sensible, discerning, intelligent, beautiful. Pray that your boys don't grow up to be Nabals. And if you have daughters or granddaughters, pray that they're not attracted to a Nabal. You do not want them to marry a fool. You do not want to marry that person that's harsh and crude and mean. Verse 3 is one of those verses the Bible gives to make it abundantly clear. There is no doubt about this. As you are reading and you get to verse 3, you automatically know Abigail is good and Nabal is bad. You don't know where the story is going to go yet, but it's perfectly clear where the characters are going to be. Verse 4. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants, to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men who I do not know where they're from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back and came and told all these words. Sheep shearing was a time of celebration. 
It was a fun time. You got a chance to collect on all this and it was not considered uncommon at all that maybe you would take some of what you have gotten as the harvest is coming to the close and you're shearing the sheep and you would share the resources there. And David comes up and says, now David was a shepherd, he would understand this. And he basically comes up and says, hey, listen, we were around your guys. We watched out for your guys. We were nice. We took care of them, protected them. Would you be able to bless us? Note some of the repetition of the wording here in verse 6. Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Peace. This is not David threatening him. This is not David having a sword in one hand saying, hey, why don't you bless us with something? This is not some type of shakedown by the mob. This is David saying, peace. He also drops his name. Say, David said this. David's pretty well known. David, in fact, is very well known. So he drops his name. He says, peace. But this is where it gets really interesting. Nabal's response to this. Verse 10. Who is David? It'd be pretty hard for Nabal not to know who David was. Now, there's two different Carmels mentioned in the Bible. There's one that's Mount Carmel that's more to the north. This is Carmel that's more to the south. This is right around this area right here. And in fact, we find out later on in this chapter that Abigail, his wife, knows completely who David is. So I find it very difficult to believe that Nabal has no idea who David is, but yet Abigail does. Please also note the wording. Look what he calls him in verse 10. Who is this son of Jesse? Now that should ring a bell because what is one of Saul's favorite terms to call David? Son of Jesse. He won't even say his name. Nabal was repeating what Saul says. One other little quick talking point about this. If you remember correctly, many, many chapters ago, back in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel set up a monument for himself. Guess where he set up a monument for himself? Right here where they're at. So Saul, this is his area where he has support. We have Nabal saying, I don't know who David is, who's the son of Jesse, which is something Saul would have said. It sure sounds like you can read between the lines a little bit, and I would not push this as dogma in any way whatsoever, that Nabal seems to be a little bit more towards Saul. I don't know for sure, but it sure seems to kind of be that. So he says, why would I give them anything? Please note the repetition of the word my in verse 11. Shall I then take my bread, my water, my meat for my shearers? Nabal is all about Nabal. When you run into a fool, it's always going to be about them. They always look at it from their perspective and what they have and how could they share anything anyway whatsoever. Verse 12 is a very interesting verse. It has a very abrupt ending. If you actually look at this word in Hebrew, and I'm not an expert on Hebrew in any means, it's basically just a bunch of verbs. One, one translation put it like this. And the young men of David turn on their way and turn back and come in and declare to him according to all these words. It's abrupt for a reason. This, this passage shows us that they had their very peaceful presentation. Hey, we watched out for you guys. Peace, peace, peace. It says in verse 14 that Nabal hurled insults at them. One translation says he literally screamed at them. And they just turned back quickly. This meeting was over instantaneously. Now this is where it gets interesting, verse 13. Then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. I don't think David's going to go talk. David is a man of blood. He's a man of war. And please note the repetition in verse 13. Girded on his sword is mentioned three times. That's an emphasis. Jump ahead, if you will, real quick to verse 21. A little bit more background on what David is thinking at this time. 
Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. That doesn't sound like David. That sounds like Saul. That sounds like Saul saying, I'm going to kill everybody. And if you have King James there in verse 22, if I leave one male, you know that it reads a little differently. It's almost a vulgarity that David is using. And right now you're thinking, boy, this is why I wish I had King James. But you don't. So you don't know what it says. And I'm not going to tell you what it says. Yeah, but no one has, see, no one has King James. No one even has King James in the room right now. So what it is, is David. This is not the David you're used to. Now, I, I, I want to stop here for a second. And I, I want to speculate just for a little bit. And I always tell you guys, don't speculate. And I, I'm treading into a little bit dangerous water here because th- I can relate to this. First thing you see by David's response, please remember, every saint is a sinner. Every saint. Every man, no matter how good he is, is still at his best a saved sinner in Jesus Christ. And, and if you're like me, you have people that you really look up to. And you stop and you say... I bet they never say anything. I bet they never think anything. Oh, I bet they never do this. I bet they never do that. And the reality is every single person in this room struggles with sin and we all fall and stumble in many ways. That's just the reality. I appreciate the honesty of this chapter where it makes this very clear that David has a fleshly response. And that's what I want to analyze a little bit. This response of David is an emotional knee-jerk reaction. When I'm doing counseling with people, I always remind them, and I just did it myself, I always remind them, don't use words always and never. It does not go well. And I have people come in from marriage counseling, and the wife will say, he always does this. My first thought is, no, he doesn't. Oh, yes, he does. He always, every single time, yes. No, he doesn't. He may do it a lot of times. He may do it the vast majority of the times, but he does not always. And he'll come in and say, well, she never, careful with never, because I'm sure she has sometime. But the problem is when we get into this emotional situation, all of a sudden words like always and never start coming out. And then all of a sudden we start saying, I'm never going to talk to them again. I'm never going to go to that restaurant again. I'm never going to go to that church again. And I will never be around them. Because they always do this. David seems to be doing this a little bit. This is not the typical David response. Now this is where I want to get into a little bit of speculation. Why is David acting this way? This is an opinion. I stress opinion. I'll stress one more time an opinion. There's been many times over marriage, Dawn and I have been married 25 years, where I'll come home and all of a sudden I'll snap at something. And she'll say, what's wrong? And I'll say, oh, I'm upset and bothered at this. And she'll stop and say, no, you're not. What you're really upset and bothered is this. You're angry at person A, But since you can't really be angry at person A because you're a pastor, you're taking it out on person B. And she is right 99 times out of 100. That there is something that's bothering me that somebody else did and my hands are tied or I can't handle it the way my flesh wants, but I can come home to this setting and all of a sudden, since I'm ticked off at work, I can snap at my spouse and I can snap at my kids because I can kick the dog, I can do all this stuff. I can have a bad day and come home and I can take it out on this person even though they've never done anything wrong. Now, some people have a bit of a filter where they don't let that go other places and some people don't. This is why you yell at that poor 16-year-old cashier at Walmart where she has no idea. 
but you're ticked off at Walmart as the complex and the bigger thing. You're upset at that person that just happens to answer the phone for customer service, even though they did not do a single thing wrong, but you're upset at them. And this is what happens, this emotional knee-jerk reaction where we're really upset at something else, and we can't take it out on them, or the moments have passed, and so now we're going to take it out on this. In my opinion, opinion, is David sitting here saying, you know what, I had Saul last chapter. I could have taken him out. I could have been done in this wilderness. I, I, I could just be out of this. I could be sitting at home and safe with my wife and everything. And instead, I'm still on the run. And you know what? I've put up with Saul long enough. I'm no longer putting up with these people like this in a ball. So he says, now it's time. Is his anger and frustration, verse 13, because he didn't do anything in chapter 24. Is it one of those things where you pass the one test but then the same test happens again and you fail. I, I've run into this. I pass a test and I'm walking on in pride now saying I have defeated that sin. Then the same thing pops up a little bit later and I completely fail again. Once again, it's all speculation and I would not once again push this in any way whatsoever. But I just see David and his response in verse 13 and his response in 21 and 22. I sit there and I scratch my head and say, that's not David. That's Saul. Remember Saul a few chapters ago where he made that, that angry oath? And if anybody eats anything, I'm going to kill him, and even if it's my own son. And so Jonathan went out and had some of the honey, and Jonathan said, I didn't know you made this. And, and Saul says, now, Jonathan, you must die. Oh, come on. I look at David here in 21 and 22. Look at 22 one more time. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. At that point, you just want to look at David and say, David, come on, buddy, take a break. And I just encourage you, if that's you sometimes, boy, step back, get an eternal perspective. I don't know what you're getting upset about, but it's not about eternity. It's not about heaven and hell. It's not about souls. You're probably worked up about something else in life. And what happens is since you can't handle that the way you want to handle that, you're getting more worked up about something that you should. I just encourage you to take a step back. And if you're saying, okay, James, that's not me, but I live with that. Well, now we're going to get to Abigail. And you're going to see this beautiful spirit of Abigail and how she handles these things. But let's pause real quick before we get into Abigail in verse 14. Any quick questions, comments about anything here before we go on? Make sure we have this, the uh, story scene set. We good? Okay. Abigail 14. Now one of the young men told Abigail and Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. Once again, that can be translated, he screamed at them. He did not just send them away. He insulted them. He heaped insults on them, scolded them, scorned them. That's a very, very strong word. What's Abigail going to do? Verse 15. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Scoundrel literally means son of Belial. Worthless person. That's quite the insult. Do you know in a ball that verse 17, that you cannot even speak to them? Oh, I know people like that. They get so worked up over something. If you try to call them, you can't. You can't talk to them. You can't text them. If you try to sit down and say, listen, come on, just, just, just settle down here for a second. And let's talk this through. They are such a fool, such a scoundrel, such a son of Belial, that you can't even have a rational conversation with them because they are such a fool on issues. 
I'm asking you very lovingly, if that falls under you in any way whatsoever, please prayerfully step back and say, why am I a fool like Nabal? Number two, if you're still saying, okay, James, that's not me, but that's what I live with and work with. Once again, let's see how Abigail handles this. Verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sails of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming out toward her, and she met him. She takes this position now as she comes to meet David. Remember David in 21 and 22. He is angry, he is ready for revenge, and he's, he's got sword and he's ready to go. So here is this, I, I just envision Abigail as some type of docile, petite little thing, and she comes up against David. And what does she do? 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. She takes a position of humbleness. Now before we get into Abigail's long speech here, I want you to note the amount of times she calls herself maidservant or servant, depending on your translation, and how many times she calls David Lord. I want you to note that, the repetition of maidservant or servant and calling David Lord. She's taking this position of humbleness. And look at the speech that she gives. And it's a wonderful example of how to deal with somebody who is angry and upset. 24. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard the scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal, fool, is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maid servant. What a great speech. She takes a position of humbleness. She takes a position of responsibility and stops and says, this one's on me. Now, we're going to get to that point a little bit later. But most importantly, she brings back a spiritual focus. Look at 28. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Look at verse 30. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you. She stops and she reminds David of, David, what's God going to do for you? Don't get worked up over this. I mean, isn't this what we do? Isn't this what we should be doing as Christians? Somebody calls me up and they're at the end of the rope. They're going to quit. They're going to quit their job. They're going to quit their marriage. They're going to quit everything. They're just done. And I stop and say, hold on. Eternity here. Is this what God's calling you to do? What a great question to ask somebody who claims to be a Christian. 
when they want to get worked up to do something. If you prayed about it, is that what the Lord's calling you to do? Think about it from an eternal standpoint. Will your actions bring glory to God? Will your actions further the kingdom? This is basically what Abigail is saying is, David, if you go do this, you're just as much as a fool as Nabal is. you got something deeper here. God has said, I'll fight your battles. Look at 28. Why are you doing this, David? The Lord fights the battles. Verse 29, we know, verse 29, that Saul is chasing you, yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the Lord your God is watching out for you, David. See, she knows about Saul. She knows about David. I find it very difficult to believe that Nabal has no concept in any way whatsoever of Saul and David and what's going on. Just, I find that very difficult to believe. The wisdom, discernment of Abigail is priceless. The right word at the right time. I made just a couple quick passages here from Proverbs that reminds me of Abigail. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What would have happened if Abigail would have showed up to David and said, if you go near my husband? Abigail would have been probably killed. She came with a soft answer, and it turns away wrath. I know it. You know it. Sometimes it feels good to fight fire with fire. They raise their voice, you raise your voice, they make a comment, you make a comment, they say a word, you say a word, and all of a sudden it feels good. That's not the biblical way to handle it. Soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15, 23. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. The right thing at the right time. That's something I pray for every week. Lord, at that moment... Let me think biblically, clearly, and accurately to say the right thing at the right time. Because the reality is, at that moment of emotion, I am not thinking clearly. So I have to pray now in the calmness to be prepared later for emotional situations. If you are a person that at that time of emotion, you find yourself saying things you shouldn't say, may I please encourage you with Proverbs 15, 23, write it down, pray it in moments of calmness to be prepared for moments of emotional. Proverbs 25, 15. Patience can persuade a prince and soft speech can break bones. Do you realize how difficult it is to argue with somebody who doesn't want to argue? One translation says gentleness breaks a bone. That's something that really hit me years ago. I heard a teaching by Alistair Begg that, if I remember correctly, has only boys. And at that time, I had only boys. And he talked about how that verse was life-changing for him. Gentleness breaks a bone. He doesn't have to yell. He doesn't have to scream at his kids. Gentleness can do it. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect on that in any way whatsoever. There's been times I've raised my voice, but I try to stop and say, okay, James, stay calm, stay gentle, because gentleness, soft speech can break a bone better than yelling and screaming. You've probably all had a boss or a parent or a coach that just communicated by screaming. At first, it, it scars you. Then after a while, you stop and say, they're just yelling again. Boy, gentleness breaks a bone. You see this with Abigail. Now, this is great, but this only works if David responds. 32. Then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. Please note, David had mentioned God earlier, 
But the way he mentioned God earlier is verse 22 is basically using God as a hitman. May God do so and more. When you see this in verses 32 through 34, this is the David that's the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is the David that gets it. 32. Blessed is the Lord who brought you here, Abigail. You almost just sense the calmness now in him. Verse 33. Blessed is your advice. Blessed are you. Verse 34, God sent you. A wise man sees the Lord's hand in this. Now, this is where it becomes a compare and contrast between Saul and David. Saul would never have seen his foolishness, but David would. David responded in the flesh earlier, but when corrected, saw his foolishness and took steps to do it. A wise man would admit he was a fool, admit he overreacted, he'll call, he'll he'll say he's sorry, he'll make amends, he'll try to build a bridge of peace. Saul never would have done that. So part of the purpose of this chapter is to show you, once again, the differences between Saul and David. Constantly showing the differences between Saul and David. David is a man of God's own heart. Number two, Saul would not listen to advice. There's been many times where people came and tried to give Saul advice. He would not listen to advice. David would. What a prideful, arrogant thing to not hear advice. David listens to advice. Saul would not change course. If he had his mind set on something, he's going to do it. doesn't matter how many bodies are, are killed. It doesn't matter how much blood is shed. He'd kill his own son if he had to. David would change course. So Saul would not see his foolishness, but David would. Saul would not listen to advice. David would. Saul would not change his course. David would. Very simply put, are you Saul or are you David? Proverbs 13, 10. Pride leads to conflict, but those who take advice are wise. What a great passage. Those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Get all the advice and instruction you can, so you'll be wise the rest of your life. Godly counsel from godly people will help you more than you can ever imagine. But what about Nabal? Something has to happen to the fool, right? 36, now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like stone and it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Be patient enough to allow the Lord in his time frame to deal with fools. Sometimes I'll hear people say, well, somebody needs to stand up to him. Sure, God will. Well, God's taken too long. Well, allow the Lord in his time frame to take care of the situation. God has not called me to be judge, jury, and executioner. God has told me to pray for these fools. And I wonder in verse 38, if God gave Nabal 10 days here to have some time of repentance, I don't know once again, I don't want to speculate. But if you have a Nabal in your life, a fool, and to be quite honest, you're sick and tired of him, and you're ready for someone to stand up to him because somebody needs to do it, make sure you're not doing like David in the flesh. Step back, make sure it's of the Lord. Step back and make sure it's done in God's time frame. 39, so when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded at the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. See, David realizes I would have been wrong. That emotional phone call to that person is not going to be fruitful. That text that you send without praying about is not going to be fruitful. Going right over to that person's door, office, and having it out right then, right now is not going to be fruitful. 
Have patience to allow the Lord to keep you from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head, and David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. Well, that took a little bit of a change of a story right there. Hey, heard your husband died. Um, I like you. You're pretty. I'm estranged from my wife because her dad took her from me, so I have an opening. There's no way to defend this. Anytime you get to polygamy in the Bible, multiple wives, there's no defense. And I'm telling you right now, for, for somebody who's been teaching and studying the Bible for many, many years, there is becoming more of a push to defend polygamy. I don't get this. I don't understand it. But you run into people every now and then. It's like, well, I think we can make a case for this. No, you can't. Just because the Bible records what people did does not make it right. Every now and then somebody will say, well, David did it. Well, yes, the Bible recorded what he did as a fact, not as an example to follow. The Bible records the words of Satan. We shouldn't go around quoting him. If you ever see multiple wives in the Bible, it never, and I'll use the word, never works out well. It just doesn't. When a man had more than one wife, there is always family trouble. And you may be saying, well, James, you said never to use the word always. Yeah, but this one you can. It does not work out well. David here is starting to collect wives. Now, we have to talk about this. 40, when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Please note the wording in 40. This is not a forced thing. 41, then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maid servant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey attended by five of her maidens and she followed the messenger of David and became his wife. Now maybe we could stop right there and this would be the time where you'd see the credits rolling over the movie and the sunset coming up. You would stop and say, aw, David and Abigail. The reality is we know that David gets back his first wife, McCall, here in a few chapters. And then we also have 43. David also took Anama of Jezreel. And so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given McCall, his daughter David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laj, who was from Galilee. So his first wife was given to another man, but he gets her back here in a few chapters. And David now has two wives, so technically he has three wives. It becomes a soap opera. Once again, just because the facts are recorded does not mean that this was blessed by God. And at this point, somebody usually says, well, if it wasn't God's plan, God's will, why did he allow it to happen? May I just simply ask you, have you done something today that was not in favor with God? He allowed you to do it. So just because I sin doesn't mean God's okay with my sin. So how am I supposed to take this emphasis on Abigail? There's a whole chapter devoted to Abigail. At this point, I have to stop and say... Isn't there more to Abigail? I mean, all the details about her. She's humble. She's a servant. And look at the word willing right there. Verse 42, she rose in haste. Do you realize in verse 18, verse 23, and verse 34, it's the same word to describe Abigail. What she does, she does quickly. Now, when I say she does this in haste, this does not mean she did this impulsively. It means she knew what she was supposed to do, and she did not hold back. I see a lot in men and also in women that the Lord lays something on their heart. It's very clear, and they drag their feet. I know what I should be doing. I know this. I mean, I know it. I know it. But I see in Abigail four times, 18, 23, 34, and 42, that when she knew what she was supposed to do, she just jumped right in the deep end. And she's blessed. She's discerning. She acts decisively. She's not rash. She's not impulsive. 
And she is. She's right where she's supposed to be. But we have to stop real quick and say, how are we supposed to explain Abigail? I heard a great teaching one time by a man by the name of John Corson. And so you don't think I'm making it up. Here's the book. I'm just going to tell you what he says, because I think this is such a great point that he says. And if you want to chew on this, you can, because please remember one of the points I said at the beginning. The main point of this chapter is to show you David's heart of grace, where Saul does not have a heart of grace. That's the main context of the chapter. Point number two, how did David get to start having so many wives? This chapter is starting to show you that. Once you get the context down, now, now we can maybe look for something deeper. Don't just jump to this point and say, well, how am I in this? Learn the context first. But John Corson does this really neat point, and I just want to share this, where he says, in all reality, we're supposed to be a picture of Abigail in many ways. And he makes some neat points, and I want to share some of those points with you. He says, Abigail was yoked to Nabal. He says, we too are all yoked to fools. The fools of our sin, the fools of ourself, and the fools of Satan. She was stuck with an idiot. He goes, so are we. We're stuck with ourselves. We're married to a fool, and that fool is myself. He says, Abigail was barren. She had no children with Nabal. We too were barren. When we're married to a fool, we're barren. We have no fruit in our lives. I think that's a neat point. Abigail humbled herself before David, and that's what happened to you and me as well. We heard the word of doom and realized our need for a Savior, and we humbled ourselves. Abigail sought forgiveness. Some people think they don't need to be forgiven, that they have no need of salvation like Abigail, however we know otherwise. Abigail was persuaded of David's goodness. So too we say, Lord, you are worthy, you are good. And Abigail's request was granted, verse 35. The real issue of salvation is not that we accept the Lord, but the Lord accepts us. And because he does, we are no longer at war with him, but we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So John Corson likes to take this point and says, we're Abigail, married to a fool, until we come and realize who we're supposed to be with, and that is David there. That is a picture of Jesus, according to John Corson. Except that you don't have to. It's just a neat point there that I wanted to share, that I heard that teaching one time, and that's something to look at maybe a little bit deeper. But really what it comes down to is this, is we want Abigails in our lives. We want to be an Abigail. Wisdom, discerning, intelligent, how to handle situations. We don't want to be Nabal. We don't want to be the fool. We don't want to be David, the knee-jerk impulsiveness. Abigail is the true hero of this story and how she handles these situations, and may we be that way as well. Any final questions, comments about anything here? We will close you, close you up. Amber. So did Abigail know about his first wife? I would assume so. That's my opinion. This, this is where I go back to C.S. Lewis, and he says every analogy eventually falls flat. And so the idea is that there are traits we can learn about Abigail and say, I want to learn that discernment. But Abigail was a sinful human being just like anybody else. And so therefore, she jumped into this marriage here with David. Can we defend that action? No, we can't. God calls us to have faith like Abraham, but I do not encourage you to go out and get a maidservant and make her your concubine. So we're supposed to realize these are traits we're supposed to learn from. We're supposed to learn from David, but we don't mean we do everything David does. We can learn from Abigail, but that does not mean we go out and do everything Abigail did. But good question. Yeah? That's actually McCall because of jealous. Yeah. yeah, Abigail kind of goes off the charts here a little bit. Um, I think there's recorded of one son that she has, 
but that's actually McCall that, that, that does that. But that's what makes this story even more interesting is all the detail on Abigail for somebody who kind of like is a central character for one chapter. And we sit there and we say, Lord, what are you trying to show us here? And that's where I think we need to sometimes look a little deeper and say, what are we supposed to learn from her? Anybody else before we close up? All right, let's pray. Lord, may we learn from this. May we grow in this. May we go deeper in you in all ways and all things. You are good and do good, and we thank you. And may we walk in wisdom and discernment in all situations, die to that impulsiveness of David, and die to the foolishness of Nabal. You are good and do good in your name. Amen. Um, I do not have a bulletin up here, so hey, typical stuff going on. Um, VBS finishes up tomorrow. Continue to keep vacation, Bible school, and prayer. It's been extremely fruitful. We've been very, very blessed by that. And pray for all the helpers, teachers, leaders, etc., to have strength to finish the race and to really represent Jesus tomorrow because that's really the emphasis of tomorrow is representing the salvation of Christ uh, going on with that. So continue to keep that in prayer. Uh, hey, thank you for coming. I know for many of you it's been a very, very busy week, and I appreciate you coming out and hopefully being refreshed and revived here. So we'll let you guys go. Have a good evening. God bless, and we'll catch you guys next Wednesday then as we continue in 1 Samuel. Take care.